Hi, I'm Sam. Welcome to Love Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. We're thankful you decided to worship with us today. Hi, my name is Erin Kerr, and I've been with Love Chapel Hill for almost nine years. Whether you are new to Love Chapel Hill or you've been around since it first started, we would love to get to know you and connect with you. Please take some time to fill out a Connect card. You can find a Connect card on the Love Chapel Hill website or on our Facebook page. This is a great opportunity to tell us where you are in your faith journey, to ask any questions you may have, or to see how you can get involved at Love Chapel Hill. We hope to see you soon. Hello everyone, my name is Joel and this is my son Evan. Can you say hi? Hi. <laughs> we want to ask all of you to go to lovechapelhill.com. This is a great place for you to find out more about the church. Uh, during this time while we are away, this has also become a bit of our virtual lobby where you can let us know if there's, there's some things that you need, whether it's prayer, somebody to chat with. Just let us know if any needs. It's a great way to go and contact us. Also, we have many great places where you can connect and grow and learn together. So we have virtual small groups, virtual prayer meetings. We also created a, a Spotify account that has all the worship songs that we've been singing and going over during this time. You can worship all through the week with us. And uh, also, I want to highlight uh, on Fridays, we have what's called Coffee Break. And if you want to step away from your job for a few minutes or school or whatever you're doing and just chat with some people from the church, great social, great way to get to know somebody uh, different. That's Fridays at 10 o'clock. You can find all the Zoom information, all the digital information that you need right there at lovechapelhill.com. We'd love to see you there and connect with us.
Please. 
Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream.
Hey, Love Chapel Hill. Uh, we're continuing our series today called Kingdom Tide, where we are exploring the Old Testament prophets uh, every year in the fall as part of this uh, overall rhythm of staying rooted in the full scope of Scripture. Uh, we come back to the Old Testament, and this fall we are studying the Old Testament prophets. Uh, we call this series Kingdom Tide because really it's flowing out of that first uh, prophet that we talked about, the prophet Amos, uh, who confronts the sin of the people, channeling the voice of God. He speaks to the people and says that God is declaring uh, that he is sick and tired of their empty worship, that he doesn't want their songs, he doesn't want their sacrifices because there's nothing behind those expressions of worship. There's no authentic heart behind it. And he says, instead, let justice roll down like a river and righteousness like a never ending stream. And we see throughout the Old Testament prophets and then flowing into the ministry of Jesus, uh, this culture of the kingdom of God, uh, these two streams of justice and righteousness flowing together to form this deep river, uh, this current of transformation that is the kingdom of God. So we're trying to walk in that uh, and to have the Holy Spirit critique us, challenge us, and transform us into the kinds of people who live out that the those lives of justice and righteousness together that double heartbeat that double pulse of the heartbeat of God so that's who we want to be uh today the prophet that we're looking at is the prophet Jonah Many of you might be familiar with certain pieces of Jonah's story, certainly the, the image of the great fish that swallows Jonah. Maybe you've heard that story before. Uh, so you're probably familiar with pieces of this story. Uh, quick shout out to our students, uh, UNC students who are part of Crew, the campus ministry, uh, and our good friend Riley Davis, who is the campus minister there with Crew. They've actually been going through this, uh, a four-part series teaching through this book. So Riley is probably doing a, a way better job of preaching this than me. Uh, but shout out to them um, and the overlap that's happening today with that. Uh, so the book of, of Jonah it's actually a really short book. It's four chapters. Uh, and in my Bible, it's basically two pages long. Uh, but it is a significant story and it has significant things to say to us today. Um, it begins with God calling Jonah and giving him this message of repentance uh, that he's supposed to take to a city called Nineveh. And so God gives him this message of judgment to go and to say to the city of Nineveh, this, this uh, significant and strong city, to go to them and to say uh, that if they don't repent of their evil, of their violence, uh, and of their wickedness as a people, then God is going to send his judgment against them. And so he says to, to go and to tell them they have 40 days to repent uh, or judgment is coming. And Jonah's response to that is not to go to Nineveh, but to head in the opposite direction and to run from that calling that God has given to him and to ignore this uh, and in disobedience to head in the opposite direction. Uh, it's, easy, it's easy to see that the reason he runs is because there is this fear 
that he has. Uh, and so it's, it's easy to see that on the surface. Um, but what is the fear? What is it that Jonah is afraid of that makes him run away from this calling? Uh, we might think that it was uh, fear of the people. The city of Nineveh uh, is this military stronghold uh, and it's this city that's known for its violence um, and that is known for this deep kind of wickedness. And so maybe he's afraid of the people and what they will do to him when he brings this kind of message uh, that no one wants to hear. Um, so maybe it's that or maybe he's afraid of failure. Uh, maybe it's not of what the people are going to do to him, um, but of what failure is going to mean for him as a prophet. Uh, to be given this message, uh, once again, a message that no one wants to hear and have to go and to speak this to the people. Uh, and so it's easy to assume that the people aren't going to listen to this and aren't going to respond to this. And so maybe Jonah is afraid of failing as a prophet, no one wants to fail in the missions that they have been given. But really, as we look into the book and as we look into the context here, as we read all the way through the story, we understand when we get to chapter four at the end of the book, we understand exactly what Jonah was afraid of. He's not afraid of what the people are going to do to him. He's not afraid of failing in this mission. We find out in chapter four that what Jonah is most afraid of is God's grace towards his enemies. He's afraid that when the people repent, God will show mercy to them. In chapter four, verse two, he says that. He says, God, this is why I don't, didn't want to come in the first place because I know that you are a God who is compassionate and gracious. You are slow to anger, abounding in love, and you relent in sending calamity. So once again, he's quoting Exodus 34, just like we talked about a few weeks back with the prophet Joel. And we see how this description of God's character echoes all the way throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. Uh, and Jonah, once again, is pointing us back to this. God revealing his character in Exodus chapter 34. And we hear it echoed here in, in Jonah's words again. And so that's what he's afraid of. He's afraid that God is going to show grace. He is afraid of the strength of God's grace. What we need to understand about the context is that Nineveh is uh, not just a significant city. It's not just a large city. It's not just this kind of military stronghold, but it's the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And the Assyrians were a major military threat to the people of Israel. They were the hated enemy of God's people. And so because of that, Jonah wasn't afraid of how they were going to react to the message. Jonah wanted God to send judgment on these people. Jonah wanted to see them punished for their sin and their wickedness. What he was most afraid of was that God would show mercy to his enemies and that God would show grace to the people that he considered his own enemies. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of God's grace 
towards sinners? Are you afraid of God's grace, his strong and far-reaching grace towards the people that you consider your enemies? This is at the heart of the gospel of Jesus. Christianity is not revolutionary because it has a way of creating nice people or morally sound people who are able to obey the rules and stay in line. That's not what Christianity is about at all. Christianity is revolutionary because it tells this countercultural story, this revolutionary story of a God who is so holy that we could never make our way to him, but a God who is love. And so he makes his way to us. And it tells us this story of a God who is so overflowing, abounding in love that he even loves his enemies. We see that in the life of Jesus, that with his last breaths, he speaks forgiveness to those who are even putting him to death. It's, it's a powerful statement that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount when he tells us to love our enemies. That's a revolutionary thought, but it's unthinkable to see him living that out as he is dying for his enemies. This is what makes Christianity so revolutionary and so countercultural. We have a God who loves even his enemies. Do you love your enemies? Are you afraid of God's grace being shown towards the people that you think deserve judgment? Not only that you think they deserve judgment, but you want a front row seat to that judgment. Has the Holy Spirit transformed you so deeply? Has the love of Jesus transformed you so deeply that you long to see the transformation and renewal and restoration of even your enemies. Christianity is not about maintaining your neat religious rules. That is not the same thing as obeying God. Condemning people who hate God is not the same thing as loving God. We often want prophets We want God to send prophets who will confront the sin that's out there in what we call the world around us. We want to see God send prophets who will confront the sin of the world. But often what God begins with is he sends prophets to confront the sin within the church. And repentance has to begin with us first. As we read in chapter 3, of Jonah. This is where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, we see that God reverses Jonah's path and he creates this repentance in Jonah. Jonah, who wanted to see the destruction of his enemies, who is running in disobedience away from God because he's afraid of God's grace towards sinners. We see this transformation that happens in him, this reversal of his path. God sends a storm. God uses these pagan sailors. God even uses this great fish to swallow Jonah up and to take him to the depths for three days and three nights and then spits him out safely on this shore. And it's at that moment when a transformation and this reversal of his path takes place. And so we see this in uh, chapter three, We're going to read the whole chapter together, but it's only 10 verses here. But here's what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah 
a second time. Grace given to Jonah in his disobedience to God. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any human or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let human and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon him the, upon them the destruction he had threatened. So here we see this remarkable transformation that takes place in the city of Nineveh, this city that was known for its violence, for its wickedness. Uh, even the king himself uh, confesses that in this statement that he makes. And in response to Jonah's message, uh, this call for repentance, they listen and they respond with repentance. Um, they, this, this citywide fasting and prayer that takes place and humbling of themselves and asking for God's forgiveness. And God, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, who relents in sending calamity, as Jonah is quoting Exodus 34, he responds with grace, with grace even to those who are his enemies. And this revival happens throughout the city of Nineveh. So many of us talk about that word revival. We talk about renewal. We talk about awakening. We long to see that in our own community and across our country. We're longing for that. And we see it happen here in Nineveh. And we're like, we want to experience that too. But one of the things that I find most interesting about this is that Nineveh's revival begins not with Nineveh's repentance, but Nineveh's revival begins with Jonah's repentance. It was Jonah, the prophet of God, who changes course, who's transformed uh, by God's grace and begins to move back in the other direction. It's his repentance. He's living in disobedience to God. He's, he's uh, running away from God's will. And there's this moment of repentance, which means to turn and begin to head in the opposite direction. And he begins to walk in the way of God again. And it's Jonah's repentance that leads to Nineveh's revival. He has this moment 
That is a pivot in his life, a turn in his life, a clear and unmistakable transformation in his direction, an undeniable change due to his encounter with God. And when he walks into Nineveh, he walks in a transformed person, a dead person who has been resurrected, a person who is preaching with authentic authority. And where is it coming from? Because he had gone down to the depths and he's been raised back up and he's preaching out of this personal experience of transformation. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, there's a really interesting moment where Jesus is being pressed uh, and, and the people are asking Jesus for more signs. Give us another sign, they're asking him. Even though he has performed all of these miracles and revealed to them uh, his mission and his identity through all of these miracles and signs, still they want more signs. And they say, give us another sign to prove that you're the Messiah, to prove that you are who you say you are. And Jesus responds and says, I won't give you any more signs. A wicked generation requires and is asking for all of these signs. And he says, I won't give you any more signs. He says, except one, the sign of Jonah. What does he mean by that? He's pointing back to this story and he's pointing ahead to his own resurrection in the same way that Jonah was taken down into the depths to death itself and then raised back up a new life, a life transformed. Jesus is saying he's going to do the same thing. He's going to go down into the depths of death itself and to be raised back up in resurrected Life. He's pointing back to this story, pointing ahead to his own resurrection. And he's saying that the same thing has to happen in us. That kind of pivot, that kind of turn, clear and unmistakable change in direction. A dead person raised back to life. He wants to give us the same sign and he wants for us to become that sign to our generation the days in which we're living now. People will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus until they see the resurrection of you, until they see the transformation in your life. Nineveh's revival begins with Jonah's repentance. It was his transformation that then sparks that transformation in that broader kind of way. And revival will not happen. Renewal will not happen until repentance happens in the church, until repentance starts to happen in the church. We have to do this. We have to be the catalysts for renewal. And we see in this story that one of the key catalysts for renewal is repentance. The church needs to lead the way in repenting. I think the greatest obstacle to renewal is not a culture out there that is hostile towards Christianity, but instead it's a culture within the church of prideful Christianity. That is the great barrier to renewal. I'm not sure which is more tragic, the person who's yet to realize their desperate need for grace or the person who has forgotten their desperate need for grace. If we want to see renewal, it has to begin with us and it's got to begin with repentance within 
the church. We have so much to repent for as the church, particularly as the American church. And even more particular, the American evangelical church. We have developed a reputation and built a track record as the American evangelical church for speaking out on the sanctity and the value of human life. We have built a reputation and built a track record of speaking out on issues of morality as the American evangelical church. And yet we have remained silent and therefore complicit when it comes to racial injustice, when it comes to the reality of white supremacy and the way that the white American evangelical church benefits from remaining silent on those issues. That is a key issue of the sanctity and dignity and value of human life. That is an issue of Christian morality. And we cannot be silent on that. We have to lead the way in repentance. I don't believe that we will see change in our culture until we see transformation within the church. And it begins with repentance. We have to lead the way. Last week, I had the opportunity uh, to represent us, um, to represent Love Chapel Hill uh, at a gathering of black clergy members and white clergy members who were having this kind of conversation. And the challenge that I received as a representation of white pastors within the American church is a challenge to lead the way in repentance. So I will say personally that I want to help lead the way in that and I begin by repenting myself. I repent for the ways in which I have benefited from the silence of the white American church when it comes to white supremacy, when it comes to structures and systems of racial injustice. I repent of that And as a church, we will continue to practice repentance. Repentance is more than an apology. Repentance is more than saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is a change of direction. And it means carving out a new path. And so we will continue in carving out that new path and walking in a new way. That is an important and crucial part of what repentance means. It's not only an apology. It's not only saying, I'm sorry. It's being changed and beginning to live in a different direction. Nineveh's revival began with Jonah's repentance. We often want to see God send prophets to critique and call out the sin in the culture all around us. But he often begins by sending prophets to call out the sin within the church. And we want to have our ears open to that. And we want to have our hearts open to that. And when 
He does when he speaks to us on those things. We want to have the ears to hear and the eyes to see and the hearts that are humble and ready to say we repent.
Thank you so much for setting apart this time to connect with us this week. Just a quick reminder, if you are interested in serving on the Love Chapel Hill core team, we want to invite you to respond by using the Connect card in the link here or by emailing joel at lovechapelhill.com. Joel, our Director of Connections. As you go on into this week, hear this call again from Jesus. Come, follow me. And in doing so, receive his blessing. The Lord bless and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace today. Receive this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.